Hello and welcome to the Great Lakes Equity Center. Our mission at the Great Lakes Equity Center is to ensure equity in student access to and participation in high-quality research-based education and to reduce disparities in educational outcomes among and between groups. Today's topic is our feature brief in our Equity by Design publication. Equity by Design briefs strive to provide educators with free, accessible, and applicable information. All briefs rely on current research and practice in the fields of educational reform and culturally responsive pedagogy. Go to GreatLakesEquityCenter.org to access and subscribe to this quarter's brief and our other publications like our e-newsletter, the Equity Dispatch, and our e-bulletin, Equity Now. Hello and welcome to our Equity by Design podcast episode one. I am your host for today, Jada Phelps. Today, we have Erin Macy here with us. Erin, along with Dr. Kathleen King-Torius and Dr. Sina Skelton, are the authors of today's feature brief titled, Engaging School Communities in the Critical Reflection on Policy. Now, that word policy, I'm hoping, Erin, you can elaborate it for us. Uh, I know that we hear that word so many times during the course of just one school day as practitioners, as parents, and uh, certainly as students, but can you describe to us what is meant by policy? I think people tend to think of policy as something fairly removed from schools. It's a formal written document that gets kind of handed down or pushed on schools and they um, are bound to implement it or maybe implement it unsuccessfully, but that's really their only relationship to the policy process. And in this brief, we argue that there's something called policy as practice. It's an idea that comes from um, Peg Sutton and Bradley Levinson out of Indiana University. And the idea is that individuals within a particular community make policy every day through their practices. And we believe this to be true in school communities. So the school board hands down a formal written dress code, and all kinds of things happen as teachers read, interpret, and respond to this formal written policy. For example, teachers might resist and say, okay, the dress code says no hooded sweatshirts, but today's cold, and we're going to wear hooded sweatshirts in the classroom today. Or... The dress code says you have to have a belt. Well, what counts as a belt? Today, you don't have a belt. I'm going to take a piece of yarn and cut it, and you can put it around your waist, and we're going to call that a belt, and you'll be in dress code. So there are all kinds of things that happen in school communities in response to these written texts called policies. And there are also unwritten policies that get made through the practices of teachers and members of the school community. Um, The example we give in the brief is the idea that parents who volunteer get to choose their um, students' classrooms for the next year. And these types of unwritten policies or codes about uh, what's going to go on in the school tend to be very difficult to challenge because they aren't documented. So with that in mind, how can a school community identify those written or unwritten policies? Because school communities do have the power to determine how they are going to interpret and respond to policies. And because school communities enact unwritten policies, we advocate that schools assemble a diverse group of stakeholders to continually review and critically reflect on the policies that are in place. And in the brief, we give some thoughts about who should be invited to be at the table, 
how to construct a space that facilitates full engagement from the members of the group, uh, when and how often a group like this should meet, and then most critically the what, uh, what the conversation might sound like. And today we're going to run a simulation um, using the four critical questions from the brief and apply those to zero tolerance policies. Okay, so Erin, before we get to the critical reflection uh, conversation, um, can you just explain to us what a zero tolerance policy is? Sure. So a zero tolerance policy is any policy that applies an automatic consequence for a particular kind of infraction. These started in the field of law enforcement and have migrated into our schools. So in our schools, they remove discretion from administrators or school staff uh, for particular actions taken by students. And these could be bringing a weapon to school or uh, being in possession of drugs, but they could also be um, something like extreme disrespect or three times being sent to the office and you're expelled from school. Okay, so now we're going to listen to a simulated conversation critically reflecting on zero tolerance policy. So Erin, what's one of the first questions you will ask the participants to reflect on? We'll actually start with a pair of questions. The first question is, what is the policy's intent? And the partner question to that is, what is it we want to accomplish? And a couple of things could happen here. Um, the group might discover that the intent of the policy, whatever its consequences, um, is something that they want to embrace. It's also possible, as is often the case with unwritten policies, like the one we described where uh, parents who volunteer in the classroom get to kind of select their child's teacher for the next year, that the policy intent is to preserve the privileges of a particular group. And that might be a goal that, that the group does not want to embrace. But either way, this first set of questions is grounding the group in a shared vision for their policy. Okay, so now let's go ahead and listen in on the conversation. I think the policy is intended to create a safe environment for children in schools, which is a very noble response to the many events of uh, violence and harassment in schools. So the intention seems to be very noble. I think we're trying to keep harmful objects, substances out of schools to make the learning environment more conducive for students. I think the intention was to help practitioners know what to do and not have uh, to make the call on the spot. So it was intended to kind of facilitate their kind of enacting some standard principles around behavior expectations and discipline. Um, so the intention was to be helpful, I think. I think the underlying goal of the zero tolerance policy was to accomplish safer and more engaging learning environments. You want students to feel safe at school. You don't want them to feel like they're going to be threatened or harmed. And that was the underlying premises for the enactment of this policy, was the creation of safe learning environments for all individuals. Okay, so now, Erin, they've answered what uh, is the goal or the intent of the policy. So now what? Yeah, so I think it's really interesting that the group um, decided that the, the goal of zero tolerance policies is safe and inclusive schools. Now we're going to ask the group to unpack some of the assumptions or social constructions underlying the policy and to see if um, that view of the world fits with their own understanding of how the world works. 
I think we're picking up on uh, a critical issue regarding discipline and uh, um, how society should perceive the role of discipline and education. The, the whole idea of uh, almost in, incarcerating the offender frustrates the whole notion of uh, um, allowing for engagements or, or infractions being a source or, or point of teaching and learning. And life is about resolving issues, resolving conflict. Mm -hmm. So if children don't, uh, if the policy doesn't allow for a mechanism where the practitioners can, um, can appropriate it in different ways for different circumstances, then we are missing out on an opportunity to teach kids certain things. To build off that, it, it is more, right, the zero tolerance is, is a very reactionary and punitive model. So we are not looking at preventative, systemic type types of work that a policy could be done, right? We're looking at after the fact, what happens after the fact that this incident has happened rather than looking at how do we build the community with students, right, and to prevent we're just hoping that the punishment was severe enough that you do not do it again. It's very behavioristic. It also puts students, kind of sees students as deficient, right? Again, looking at um, the unit of analysis is of students. Uh, so what is wrong with the students? Um, instead of what is wrong with the system, right? It's something that's causing the students to be doing that. But instead, policy is very narrow. Okay, it seems, Erin, that the participants have revealed um, what the policy is for and what it does, but then with that, it seems as if they have discovered that there are some unintentional consequences that arise out of this policy. Right, so you hear them talking about missed opportunities to learn, you hear them talking about excluding certain students, um, the reactionary nature of the policy, and with the next question, who benefits and who does not, They'll go even further um, into their discussion of the consequences of this policy. Okay, well, let's uh, get back to the conversation. Yeah, I think this policy also um, lends itself to disconnecting certain individuals from the learning community. So when a student is expelled, then that student no longer is a part of that school system, but he or she becomes part of, uh, still is a part of our society. So pushing them out the door doesn't really become effective. Zero tolerance is really about making the solution short term and, and not even looking at long term solution, right? Mm -hmm. You could get rid of a kid and he's gone from my classroom, I'm good, right, for the school year, but what happened to that kid and many other kids in that same situation. What was brought up earlier is that zero tolerance was implemented to reduce disparities. But the data shows that um, it's actually created more of a gap between certain groups of students. And you know, the data is showing that more minority students are being expelled under this policy than um, you know, non-minority students, white students specifically. And so what I see is that this policy is probably embracing a particular social group. Mm -hmm. 
a cultural group. I think if we look at like a, a classroom example where a teacher, where the policy was intended so that a teacher could say, yes, you're doing this, no, you're doing this, uh, and that's it, right? It's a black and white issue. But teachers, sometimes teachers don't report things, right, that are supposed to be reported. And again, this policy was intended not to do that, is to prevent those things from happening, but uh, uh, unintentionally it has kind of perpetuated that issue where teachers say, well, I know that if I report this student, this is what's going to happen. So I am not going to report the student because I know what's going to happen. Who do I report? Who do I not? Right? Who do I want to be kicked out? Who do I not want to be kicked out? So we recognize that generally discipline or the effecting of, uh, of, uh, of discipline is subjective a very subjective practice mm -hmm. and um, while the the policy is intended as Paul was saying to remove that subjectivity it, it's actually not quite uh, doing that on the other hand it's allowing for the same subjectivity but in this case um, the the practitioners are in a situation where, that, where they, they have to either implement or not implement at all yeah. So the level of subjectivity is, is, uh, is now tricky. So we heard that minority students don't benefit, society doesn't benefit. In some respects, teachers don't benefit from this policy. Um, really an interesting conversation. Yeah, what I also heard was a connection was made between who benefits from this policy and who does not spawn from a high level of um, subjectivity. All right, so then the final piece of the conversation is, what are we going to do about it? How do we redress the inequities that we see in our policies? So with your autonomous policy, there may need to be follow-up activities that occur that, yes, you are being removed from the classroom, but this is what we're going to do to get you back in. Mm -hmm. Hearing kind of two themes. One is that we want, what we want to accomplish is an effective model of behavior management and the second part to that is that it's student-centered rather than system kind of centered around how do we kind of protect academics and the system from the kids and their behavior and rather reshaping that to think about how can we support this child, what's going on with this student, and thereby preventing some of the things that we've seen, some of the acts of violence that we've seen. Okay, Erin, it sounds like they are approaching, trying to find an alternative to zero tolerance policy. What are the alternatives? Well, some of the alternatives that school communities have explored are um, frameworks like restorative justice. This would address the group's concern that we're not teaching anything by just kicking someone out of school. We need a way to ensure that problems are worked through and resolved. Um, another option that school communities have embraced is culturally responsive PBIS, positive behavior interventions and supports. This would be a way to address the group's concern that they're not focused on building a safe and inclusive school. They're just focused on addressing problems. So those are two possibilities the group might explore as they're thinking about moving away from zero tolerance and moving toward something else. Okay, Erin, just to wrap things up, what advice would you give to school communities who want to use this um, critical reflection on policy? Where would they begin? Well, one of the things we didn't hear the group do today that would be really important for a group that's um, examining any policy is to bring in some data to examine. Um, 
and we'd embrace a wide definition of what counts as data. So we're not just looking at, say, suspension and expulsion rates, but we'd be looking at the stories of students who've been suspended or expelled. They can also look to research data. I could see that a, a group reflecting on zero tolerance policy looking to someone's work like Russ Skiba, who talks about um, disproportionality in school discipline and um, really went and investigated schools and discovered that black students were being expelled um, for infractions that white students um, were also committing but not being ex expelled for. Finally, um, I'll just reiterate, it's really important that this uh, critical review team be composed of a wide variety of individuals, include students, include families who might not normally engage with the school and get their perspective, um, get your teachers on board. Set a regular meeting time so that you're meeting often throughout the school year and you have time to really dig into these critical questions. All right, Erin, I want to just thank you for joining us today. And where can we find your brief? You can go online to glec.education.iupui.edu and find all of our publications there, including our Equity by Design briefs. Well, that concludes our podcast. And we want to thank Erin Macy for joining us. And we want to thank you for listening. For more information about who we are and what we do, go to our website located at the Great Lakes Equity Center.org. Or you can email us at glec at iupui.edu. That's G-L-E-C at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. Great Lakes Equity Center is committed to the sharing of information regarding issues of equity in education. The contents in this podcast were developed under a grant from the U.S. Department of Education. However, these contents do not necessarily represent the policy of the Department of Education, and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government.